0: Good morning, good morning, Triple H listeners. It is Sunday morning and you're listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. If you haven't joined us before for this show, it's a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people. People in our community and people beyond who share with us their choices and consequences and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these wise guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspect in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now, sometimes I have guests in the studio And sometimes I will share an interview that I have done through the magic of the internet. And today is one of those shows. So I'll be here playing DJ in and out of the interviews. But this is a show that I did a couple of weeks ago with an extraordinary woman called Mary Jo McVeigh. If you haven't heard of her then that could be a very good thing because Mary Jo heads up Cara House, a space for adults and children to heal from abuse and trauma. Her approach is one of love, which is what makes this interview of interest to us all. I met Mary at a training day and what I loved about what she shared is she shared with me the understanding that it is never too late to deal with trauma and hurts that happen to us in our lives. The respect Mary Jo has for her clients and the space she offers her clients to let go of those experiences and heal is inspirational for parents and also other workers. Thank you so much, Mary Jo, for joining us. Um, My pleasure, Lucy. Tell me about Carra House. I I know that the the words that keep coming to me are, you know, this love-filled home where you try and redress the balance of trauma.
1: And you're spot on. But she started in a cardboard box in the back of my car. Uh, Oh, 20 plus, plus, plus years ago, where I used to um, drive from Five Dock out to Campbelltown and see children there just in a room at one of the fax offices. And then it just grew from there. Then I rented one room and then I rented a house here in Concord and fully furnished in a way which said to children and young people, you're welcome, you're loved, (laughs) you're deserving of beauty and comfort. And I wanted to get away from a very stark clinical environment that was going to do therapy to children. It was more about welcome and, you know, let the conversation unfold about your experiences of abuse or trauma and how you want um, us at Carra House to be part of that healing.
0: So, yeah, that's Carra House. So they take the lead, in essence, of their own healing?
1: Yes, because um, children are always referred by adults, so organisations that are working with them or their parents. So I have an outlook that there's no such thing as a voluntary client, kind of when it comes to child or young person, because it's we adults that say, you will go. But once they come through the threshold of Cara House and start to meet our practitioners... It's we start to tune our ears to, okay, you may have been referred here, but you tell us what's meaningful to you. What is your um, experience of whatever happened to you? Because I think, I don't know if it's all adults or all professionals or if it's just a certain lens on suffering, is that we assume that when one person has an experience, there's a list of symptoms or a list of reactions. And I learned very very quickly. No, no, there's not. There's the experience of the person who's gone through the trauma, and what that means to them. You know, with deep within their spirit, within their physical body, and within you know the rooms of their emotional um, being as well. So yeah, we very very much like our children or young people to lead the way.
0: I've noticed that there's a perception from someone who's experienced a trauma that they can't handle what's in front of them. But very often the person who's looking and watching and supporting can see traits in the person where they're never really given more than they can handle. Do you tease that out of them? I like the way you're saying that. So I'm just going to wrap my head around that
1: more than they can handle. i tell you what I heard in my head when I was listening to you. It's Again, particularly children and young people, we look at their behavior because post-trauma their their physical and emotional behavior tell us about their suffering. And so often their behavior is how, what society would define as naughty or you know disruptive because it's extremely difficult to sit down in front of an adult stranger and deconstruct a trauma experience. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you tell the world you're suffering, and how do you tell the world that the people who are meant to love and care for you are the source of your suffering? That's a big, big ask. So, I think children do it in their bodies and their emotions and their behaviors, and I think, therefore, that's how they're handling it. That's how they're handling their suffering by being, you know, disruptive in class or whatever. But from the outside, we need to be very careful as the adult watchers that we don't go ah this is about their behavior it's not about their behavior even if we're seeing behavior
0: yes it's what's behind and the behavior yes. is the expression of the trauma that they can't deal with yes
1: so i love the way you said about the handling because then i think adults think oh no this young person isn't handling the trauma or suffering from the trauma i'm going yes they are this is their their, their yeah. this behavior
0: is it yeah this is what they're using the- that works
1: Absolutely, we're calling it oppositional, defined, whatever we're calling it, this is what they're showing us. This is the handling. And therefore, it's up to us um, adults in the healing profession to walk towards those behaviours. And I walk toward it not just from a clinical framework, but a very political framework as well. So walking towards those behaviours going, okay, you tell me what the meaning of it is. Are those behaviours serving you? I mean, it is being disruptive in class, is hurting yourself, serving, truly serving you? as a child or young person no child or young person's ever said to me yes by the way
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) Um, and therefore how would you like to have a different relationship with the experience of your trauma and with how you want to tell us adults about the trauma as opposed to i'm going to do some behavior modification with you so you'll stop behaving like that i don't do that
0: yeah
1: i don't do that I talk about okay let's look at these behaviors and let's look at your relationship with these behaviors. I mean I had a very telling conversation just a couple of days ago with a fifteen year old and she's presenting in the world with a very very strong personality and presentation, so she's getting the um, the description of you know defiant and oppositional and and I was chatting away to her and she's being very passionate in her and delivering out oh, are you let me see your anger? And she said, "Yes, Major." I went, "Wow, great, fabulous." Okay, let you and me and anger sit down and have a really decent conversation. Let me know what you're angry about. Now she's fifteen. Ready for this? She was removed at the age of seven, and she said nobody asked me about my experience. Nobody asked a seven-year-old what it was like. I know. I just, I just went, "Yes, this is what I'm talking about." So if we just judge this 14-year-old's behaviour, we will not unlock this story. This this little seven-year-old, yes, she was being abused, and yes, it wasn't safe, but she wanted to speak about the love she had for her mother, even though it was unsafe and she was being removed. And there was no opportunity for her to speak then. No. And that's why I also love working with adolescents and adults and anybody, anybody at top, because those stories are still locked within the older person, be they 14, 44, 74, if we don't give space for those stories of the seven-year-olds, I, I think it just it just rattles around within within um, the person that wants to tell the story.
0: And did they feel guilty that... I mean, so did she feel guilty that she had that love for the person that abused her as well? And so therefore understood why she was being taken away, but actually was very angry that she was because...
1: Yeah. All of it. All of it. So... Um, yes, the love for the parents are still there, and yes, they hurt her, and yes, she wanted to stay, and yes, she wanted to go, and so it's all yeah. yes, yeah.
0: it's all yes, and that's her and yes, and there's nothing wrong with her yes being okay, it's her yes. reality,
1: and she kept to me like talking about you know the professionals at the time are protecting her, but they don't know my experience, Rachel, they don't know my experience, and she was fabulous mm. articulate, she's gone, they might be seeing all this behaviour and but they don't know what it was like for me. And I went, like, you're
0: right, yeah, you're right. So let's go there, with teenagers, we yeah. very often will look at the behavior, we'll look at the drug taking and yes. write someone off. Um, we'll try and fix it and get them off the drugs, but not yes. actually understand why they're on them. So that no. when you take away the, the behavior that actually is working for them, because it's stopping them yes. to feel, they're not really understanding how to deal with the rest of it how i mean what i love about teenagers is that they are articulate given half a chance mm-hmm. how do we as parents as professionals and as as all parenting in the sense that they may not be our children but we're in their lives how do we support them
1: um buy yourself a psychic um, safety belt and strap yourself in. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to come. <laughs> it's going to come. So I said, we'll
1: strap yourself in for the ride. Yeah. Um, and hold on to... Okay, it was interesting. I said it to mum the other day. I said... And again, she's you know, struggling with a 17-year-old and how the 17-year-old should behave or not behave. And I said, I'm going to say something to you. And you, you, I said to you, please, you know, blow up at me if you want <laughs> But I said let go of trying to change your child, come back into what type of parent you want to be. And be that type of parent you want to be. Because our you know, our fourteen, fifteen year olds, sixteen year olds, seventeen year olds will storm, they'll go through those stormy years, particularly if they've suffered trauma. And they will be who they're they're going to be. But unless they have this This uh, center point that they can come back into, you know, and again, push against and swear against and reel against and then keep going back out to find themselves and back in and back out. So I think for parents, the most important thing is what type of parent do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And when I work with parents, I don't talk about parenting practices. I talk about parenting ethics. (laughs) And people kind of look at me and go, well, the word parent and ethics in the same sentence, I go, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love having those conversations with parents. I say, so go back in there. Let's look at your beliefs. Let's, you know, look at what do you want to hold on to and be, the, be that type of parent. Yeah. It's very powerful. It's, ve- it's, a, it's a very different way to, um, to look at it. And so you can be approaching your adolescent's behaviors. For example, if they're, you know, poisoning their little bodies with alcohol and you have a, you know, a belief in, um, and a duty of care to them. So rather than kind of, you know, rousing on your teenager and giving off to them, it, it's a different conversation. It's like, I love you enough to say, I don't like the fact you're poisoning your body with alcohol. So the parents own the conversation, not you stop drinking. It's I, yeah. I, 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 I. And they'll come back and go, hey, what would you know, you understand? And you just, as a parent go, yep. And I, this is what I want for you. This is how I'm going to parent you. It's, see, it's a different shifting the language from you to I. Mm. But you're still not letting go of their... I'm not saying to parents, oh, just let them drink and do drugs. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's come back in. Hold on to yourself. Just say, yep. And therefore, yes, I will be, you know, giving you boundaries. I will be giving you consequences. I will be doing that. And yeah, you will break them. And I will still...
0: I will still love you yes indeed she was she was really um, direct, it was so helpful for us as parents, even if we don 't have children who have been traumatized or abused, there are so many things that go on in a young person 's world and a young person 's psyche that we may not class as abuse, but they find a trauma that we need to be really respectful about listening and about asking questions and being prepared to strap ourselves in for those answers. Boundaries are super important when bringing up uh, children. Really, really important. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome back. Today's show is with Mary Jo McVeigh. She is the CEO and founder of Cara House, a safe space for children, parents and families to heal from trauma and abuse. What has been shared to date can really help us understand how children's behavior can be a way of expressing and communicating and our roles as carers, parents and community members can be so valuable in turning around a trauma, unpacking and helping them live the truly beautiful, loving, divine beings that they are. So there is a consistency, isn't there, that is really supportive to a teenager, but it's a consistency in connection and in love. So those rules probably aren't very helpful, but the bar of love and the bar of decency and respect, that's immovable. You say, you know, we can disagree with each other, but there is a bar of decency and respect that we do not go below. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when you need to reel at me, that's exactly what you're going to hit. You're going to hit this pot of love and justice and fairness. You're not going to hit, um, like you know, um, my just making rules for the sake of making rules. Mm. Um, and it's it's quite powerful, it's quite strong. I remember years ago, and um, a friend of mine noticed. As my I have two children, and as they became teenagers, I make sure that I always worked my work hours around, you know, their school hours, or whatever. And my friend said, "Why would you bother when they're teenagers? All they'll do is you'll know, come home and slam doors and grunt and swear." I said, "Correct." I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Because it'll be my face they slam the door in. Yeah. It'll be me that they need to swear at, or um, you know." You know, monosyllabically um, grunted me. I said, because otherwise there's nothing. And they need something. She went, oh my goodness. And, she said, and then she said, she, she'd done that within with, her own parenting over the years. And when she's you know, helped other parents as well, she's, I come back to that story you told me, you Major. And I said, well, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah. she can't give up on our teenagers, because I think we do give up on our teenagers. We go, oh, you know, they're 13, 14, 15, it's too late, it's doom and gloom. Never. The oldest person that I ever gave trauma um, counseling to was in her mid-70s. How can it be too late? No, it's never
0: too late. Never.
1: Never. But it's hard, Jacka. It's hard, Jacka. I'm not saying it's an easy form of parenting. It is It is pretty tough. So, again, you need a lot of support,
0: I think. And that's the partnerships, isn't it, that we all form for each other and, and sort of bringing understanding rather than judgment. If, yes. if we're forming to a form sorry, if we're parenting to a formula, we're in trouble because we've then all got to fit all these beautiful bubbles of love into a square box. And if they don't fit the picture, we feel shame, we feel like we've let yeah. everyone down. God, that's yeah. a whole and that's, why I go the,
1: and that's why I go into the ethics because um, when I do talk to parents and they, you know, say, oh, Mary Jo, but I, you know, I dropped the ball or I did shout or whatever, I say, that's fine, okay. So let's go back and let's look at what supports... These wonderful parenting ethics you believe in, and what compromises. So it's not a conversation that again further shames the parents because of course you're going to drop the ball. Mm. Of course you're going to to learning. Absolutely <laughs> wander away from your own ethics. And I say to people, and that's what friends are for. You know, you pick up the phone, and you rant and rave about your children, and they're awful, and they're terrible, and they're blah 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 blah. So you can release, <laughs> and then you can keep going back to it. okay, how do I strengthen? How do I strengthen my beliefs? But it really is trap yourself in because it is it can be hard it can be hard navigating those teenage years, and for parents. And I always say to parents, if you're finding this hard, imagine what the poor teenagers are feeling. Yes. Imagine, imagine how hard it must be for them.
0: So, really it's going lost. to that, you know, a teenager and what a teenager experiences in life. When adults, and they, the research does say that someone close to you is most likely to be the person that causes you that trauma or that abuse. How did we support young people to trust adults again? <laughs> so you're
1: good these questions because um, I when somebody said to me what do you think the ultimate goal of therapy is I said exactly this, I said for an imperfect human being to stay in relationships with other imperfect human beings because that's what it's all about, to me the, um, the trauma of, of abuse the ultimate trauma is that Breaking of the trust in the person who's meant to you know hold you, love you, support you. So the fact that any of our teenagers trust any other adults I think is a testament to them. So I think we should be focusing on that with teenagers, not criticizing their awful behaviour, that they're loud, they're noisy, they're obnoxious. We should be going, Wow, you were betrayed, the ultimate betrayal, and yet you still will talk to some teachers who are respectful to you, you know, talk to some clinicians who are, you know,
0: yeah. decent,
1: expected. that is a great testament to our teenagers, I think, that they trust anybody. What? And our children as well, it's not just our teen. like any child who's had that betrayal, that ultimate, ultimate, and I think it's a sacred betrayal as far as I'm concerned, um, because children don't bring themselves into this world, they're invited into the world through you know, the body of one parent called mother and the support of another body, Mm. you know, whoever that partner is. And so there is that duty of care. Once you invite another, you know, soul into this world, I I believe we have a duty of care to that. And that's the ultimate betrayal. It's like, wow, you invited me here and look at you, did.
0: Yes. And we benchmark what abuse and trauma and betrayal is by the extremes that we see. But when you bring it right back down, if we had an ideal world, the fact that dad comes in in a bad mood after work and you've done nothing, that's actually abuse and betrayal because the kid goes, what did I do? Yes. So, you know, we look at abuse as as an extreme, but actually that could be an equal trauma in that child's body and heart. And it's
1: how you... How you set up a dialogue with your children about that. Because, again, listening to you, it's just sort of a, a wonderful story of my own. I came in one day, ranting and raving. I can't remember. I think my two boys were on computers. And I'm standing there ranting and raving because the, um, the dog pound had phoned up to say our dog was out. And I was going, what you two? Blah, 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 blah. And there's this beautiful moment, Lucy. And I had my hands on my hip doing that. I called this reaching banshee.
0: <laughs>
1: one of my teenage boys turned around and went, Mama we thought Toby was at work with you because it's meant to be his work day. And I went, let's pause that. I'm going to try that again. And I walked out of the house. You know, Hello, <laughs> boy's home from work, the will turn around and went, that's better. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I was able to bring a lot of humor to it. But that's an example of what you're saying. That was my abuse of parenting. And I'm very, very clear. I'm very honest. And I, you know, I said to my boys, yes, I have ethics in parenting and I know I will betray them. Yeah, And I know I will practice in those non-helpful abusive ways but I don't then do a guilt trip on myself I'll go okay that wasn't great Mary jo. let's do that differently or let's do that you know and, and so keep on that life skills aren't they? Time,
0: yeah, oh, yeah. what you're, oh, you're, you're saying is is no because that's what we teach them by our practice we take ownership for our behaviour we say that we're not going to be perfect but we're jolly well going to try very hard bring yeah. humour when we don't but equally don't let that internal voice then start going oh i, I Really, I've stuffed up regularly here and blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, it's like, yep, not a great piece of parenting, so let's just correct it. And then I say, I use a lot of humour, so I say, I walked out the house and came back in the house again. We did a giggle about that. And we do giggle about a lot of my moments in my business <laughs> way too. Um, but again, it's role modelling. Yes, you will make, make mistakes in life. Yes. And you face them and you, you know, redirect it and probably aren't even mistakes, actually, no, they're learning. I mean, they're learnings, aren't uh, they?
0: They're
1: not mistakes, they're learnings. I think it's a very powerful um, part of our function as adults, not just parents, but all of us, professionals, anybody that comes in, in contact with children and young people. And again, especially our children and young people who have had the betrayal of trauma, is for us to role model. Mm-hmm. Relationships, you know, repair, relationships, I've always said that to people, it's not the fact, the break of the relationship isn't to me the big focus because we're all going to do a break in relationship as in we're all going to be imperfect, it's can we adults do the repair? And we must, we're responsible for for repairing when we break that um, sacred bond of trust and then our children, young people will be seeing that and role modelling that and so therefore when they err, then they'll be able to go, oh, yep shouldn't have done that and um, be able to repair it's very powerful. It's interesting because we're starting to think about evaluating this week. We've had a, a week-long holiday programme with our children and young people. And the big thing that has stood out is the relationship space because we have a different um, member of staff come in every day to do a different activity. And we asked the children to evaluate the programme. And they're loving all activities, but the big thing they said was, oh, we enjoyed meeting so-and-so. We enjoyed meeting so-and-so. We enjoyed meeting so-and-so. And we've watched them. Because myself and another member of staff have been here for the four days, and we've watched how they've, how they've used us in a relationship space, and I've just said to the least, "Wow, yes, they're loving the activities. There's no doubt about it. But the big thing that struck me this week was relationship,
0: and they're learning Sheesh. to trust so many different adults. And we
1: had children from the age of four
0: wow. to, we is sixteen or seventeen.
1: We had the age of eight children across that age range. Wow! Oh, it was fabulous." And so it is, um, and we adults are uh, role-modelling the relationship. Now, at some point, something happened. I can't remember what it was. And I said to one of the young people, how do you think I should let you know that, um, oh, because one of them, I think that the voice was loud or I can't remember. Okay, I doesn't really remember. I said, how do, you, how do you think I should let you know Um, if I need to give you some feedback about, say, say the loud voice. And and one of the wee boys turned around and said, well, we know that you don't shout, Mary Jo, so you're not going to be shouting at us. So you'll probably blah, 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 blah. And he just said exactly, and I went, that's okay, that's right. I'll probably sit down and talk to you. Thanks for that. (laughs) So again, it's all open, it's all open for discussion. And it's those tiny moments of them watching how we treat them, giving them space to give us feedback and how we're treating them and how we treating each other. Now, remember, these eight children all have been abused. All have had experiences, all familial abuse, all parental abuse. So they've had experiences of the abuse of power of an adult. And here, all week, we adults have been holding them and leading to them away, which is not about power over, but at the same time able to address their behaviours if it kind of you know goes a wee bit yeah. off the record scale. So it is. And I have a lot of fun with them as well. So some of them are a wee bit of shenanigans. And I said, you know what my mother used to say to me? My mother used to say to me, don't make me come over there. And then they start laughing at me when I put the voice yeah. on. I said, do you remember, do you remember mother? I'm thinking, my mother used to say that to me. we used to think, no, I don't want you to come over here. because yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I was making fun of it. And then we are giggling at me. And then they'd say things like, so you'd only have to come over here, if we did, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, see, they're self-monitoring themselves. They do. I just noticed notice it to give them opportunities to practice yeah. their own behaviors and beliefs and ethics and relationships bias but I do use a lot of humor when I
0: do if we're smart yeah. we do and we what we should do is see there are adults in little people's bodies really yes yeah. because yeah. if we respected people in that way um, we'd, <laughs> we'd probably learn a whole heap from them yeah yeah, and if I, cause
1: I'm, I've gone back to university to do a um, PhD and, and I'm interested in children's experience of um, therapeutic group work. And I am coming up from it at an angle of they aren't children, they aren't little people becoming adults because we keep going, you know, children are becoming. Mm-hmm. Well, they are becoming because we're all becoming, even adults are becoming, mm-hmm. but they're also themselves as well does that, that yeah. make sense are, yeah. they are people in their own right yeah and they're growing into adulthood yeah. but I think same as adults we adults are at a different age and stage we're adults in our own right and then we are becoming you know either you know midlife or elder stage or whatever so I,
0: my interview today is with Mary Jo McVeigh the CEO and founder of Cara House a safe space for children parents and families to heal from trauma and abuse How do we support young people to trust adults again after trauma and abuse? And where does abuse start and end? I'm going to suggest now that we all just take a moment to consider the way we speak and behave to ensure we question what is our level of normal that might be someone else's level of abuse and what effect that might have, that simple taking a moment. With trauma, that can actually cap you at a particular age in terms of your emotional development. So you can have an adult who, in certain situations, regresses to teenage or to child, teenager or childhood behaviour because they haven't learned the life skills to be able to deal with that particular situation.
1: And they haven't had a, like a safe relationship, whether experiencing those flooding emotions and that relationship has held them. So, okay, when we talk about, you no know, awful expression, terrible twos, um, and people say you know, it's between two and three that children start to have all these major big um, emotional turmoils. And we, we, we actually call it terrible twos because um, people say it's temper tantrums. And I'm very um, conscious of language and how we see people's behaviour through language. And I, and I say to people, that's that's not true. Um, it's it's two to three the major part of the brain that's developing is the emotional center. It's really starting to come online. And so you can imagine it expanding, growing, growing, growing. And so at that time, the brain is meant to be big and trying to sort out all these emotions. Which one goes where? When's anger? When's sadness? And how do I know in this tiny little body that's two to three how to place these? I know that when the adult who's watching the behavior, holds me in a certain way, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, and allows the integration of that feeling. So it's like when, um, again, a story from my own particular parenting, when one of my boys wanted six million bars of chocolate, as they do when you're in a supermarket, and he was very vocal (laughs) in his voice, in the volume of his voice in the content, and his body was also showing the entire shopping center that he wanted this bar of chocolate. And I just stayed with him, and I remember saying something like, yeah, yep, I can see that you want that bar of chocolate. Yep, I can see that. And Mama is now going to pick you up. So I spoke my way through what I was doing with his body. Does that make sense? Yes. But also aligning with the feeling, yes, of course he wanted six bars of chocolate. I would love six bars of chocolate. So I wasn't denying his, his... feeling but it was also holding them so bit by bit the more you parent like that the brain that we're talking about it's growing that brain will go okay i get it so i am allowed to have my own feelings however they need to be held in a certain way etc 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 now if our children young people aren't held like that it's, it's you say when they grow up those feelings are just going to be all over the joint mm. so i very much reclaim that when people talk about terrible twos and Tantrics and I go, no, very, very clever body. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, this is exactly what that body's meant to be doing from the age of two to three. It's exactly what they're meant to be doing. Mm. We just have to
0: hold it. Oh, we a big to try and tell executives that they're not supposed to be doing it anymore. <laughs> correct.
1: Correct, correct, correct. I know you want to, but anyway, I, know I would love to say that in a few meetings going to tell you, but I don't, I bite my tongue. <laughs> but interesting, I do use the same type of relational language mm-hmm. when I'm in a meeting with adults and they misbehave. I don't yeah. mean I talk talker, but I know, like, uh, noticing type language. So um, when, you know, kind of adults recently, anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. may have been expressing something which, again, wasn't, I think, at the level of maturity. Yeah. That this person should have been that. I just noticed. I said something like, "So I'm wondering, is there something that you need, Miri Jo, to hear, for example?
0: Yeah, something
1: like that. Yeah, so that I can get behind this. Wouldn't you behave yourself? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's up to me to to get in behind that behavior. I find it tougher with adults to, to be truthful with you, Lucy. I do want to say, to adults, pull your socks up and behave yourself. But I, but I'm too informed. I know that I should because of you know. Yeah. Um, all the other stuff I know, so I do behave myself and don't tell them to pull the socks up. I might do it afterwards at a meeting, meeting it to myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's if we if we don't give someone a point of reflection, and it might be where we say, "Hey, is the I can clearly see I'm not understanding what you're trying to say to me. You might need to say it in another way so that I can hear." And I don't respond well to being shouted at, so if we can, maybe we need to take a break, but if you want me to hear what you need to say, then you have to stop shouting as you're doing it. Yes. Or or gesticulating in a way that makes me think you're going to hit me.
1: Yeah, all (laughs) of that, all of that. And again, I think in the leadership role particularly, I'm learning that more and more. Um, The duty of care I have um, to, to my staff to make sure that I'm, as regulated as possible. And again, there was something, you know, kind of um, happened before Christmas. And I. And then I, I got feedback from members' st- staff. I know she said something like, I feel you're treating me in such and such a way. And I just went quiet and I went, that's a fair reflection. I said, i tell you what I'm doing. I said, I'm staying in a place of silence for a while because I do need to make sure that how I respond to your behaviour is from a place of calmness and a duty of care because I do not want to do anything. That hurt you. And she just did this double take. She went like, wow, mm. wow. So she's obviously not used to a leader who wants to be mindful and not rant and rave. Because of course I want to rant and rave.
0: Mm. Well, if, if someone's saying something that you totally disagree with or accusing you of something, you want to defend yourself. But equally, you need time to be able to read That's- where is that comment coming from.
1: And it's my and I think because being trauma informed, I believe it's my duty of care as a leader to go yeah. stay in a place of silence and calmness and mutual until your language is ethical enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. To be able. To, you know, so if you, you don't can't add say,
0: to their trauma. Say, hmm? Is that so? You don't add to their trauma? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Because I'm conscious of um, working in this field when our, my staff and anybody's staff hear all this trauma information that's coming into their bodies Mm -hmm. so I don't want to add to that some by being some kind of noxious raving manager who thinks it's okay to shout and get on I just it's like no 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 I don't I I don't anyway I don't believe in that form of leadership and I must put my foot forward and if I can't come from a place of compassion then I, I don't say it I wait until I can find compassion
0: shouldn't we all really do that Mary Jo McVeigh there, the CEO and founder of Cara House. If we can't say something decent, respectful and from a place that is steady in ourselves, take a moment, explain that you need the moment and come back to talk about it later. You are listening to Stay In The Loop with Lucy. My interview today has been with Mary Jo McVeigh. The CEO and co-founder and founder of Kara House, a safe space for children and parents and families to, to heal from trauma and abuse. We've been talking about how to build love and trust with young people after after those experiences that we have to be prepared to listen and then to actually Understand that the brain development might be slightly, slightly different, and to and to talk through some really practical tips, you know, about talking through um, what you are doing and why you are doing it, so that the that they can understand what's going on in a very clear, simple, and concise way. What is clear? Um, and we touched on it just at the end of the last little bit, is that that if you don't look after yourself or get the support needed at the time of abuse um, or post-abuse, it can lie dormant, locked up and unaddressed for years. It's really hard for practitioners equally working in that environment, listening and hearing stories of the abuse of the most sacred trust we're offered. How do Mary Jo and the other workers in that service not suffer from vicarious trauma? This is something, again, touched on at the end of the last interview. And I I wanted to just go a little bit further to see if she could offer us some more top tips. With staff members, with uh, practitioners who are listening to traumatic situations... Uh, we've, we're noticing more and more people having vicarious post-traumatic stress because of what they're having to listen to. How do you encourage or how do you support yourself when you hear what you do and therefore can offer guidance to others of how they can support themselves?
1: I'm going to come at this from a bit, oh, I think, left of field because I've been asked that question so... many. Yeah so many times. In fact, I think somebody did their master's dissertation on me because I was so hopeful. Ah, lovely. (laughs) So that's hilarious. But why I come at it is because I actually do believe in the work that we're doing is so meaningful. And and I know we're listening to difficult stuff, but if I get up every morning to make this world a safer place for children, young people and adults, I'm thinking wow, like I could be making guns or bombs to kill people. Mm-hmm. And so when I hold myself and I hold all staff, what I do is I say, go into your meaning, find the meaning in the work. So rather than, yes, I know we're hearing difficult stuff, but I don't, um, I'm being very inarticulate Lucy, so I am. But while we hear difficult stuff, I don't go into this, you know, inevitability of being precarious trauma. I'm more interested in how is this work, because this work has definitely made me a far, far better person I uh, ever dreamed I could be. It's it's um, strengthened my ethics, you know, all of that stuff. It's brought me to a deeper, far deeper spiritual place than, than I ever dreamed as well. And so I think if we turn our heads towards that, so rather than going, oops, um, kind of vicarious trauma, somebody wrote about vicarious resilience. I can't even remember the theorist who wrote about that. And I remember thinking that's wonderful but I talk about getting it's for me it's vicarious joy and hope and meaning and I just I just abuse and my um, world with that so when I'm supporting stuff that's what I go for turn your head towards that where is the meaningful the beautiful the hopeful the joyful in your life make sure that's really solid but also find the meaningful the joyful the beautiful the hopeful in the work and when you do feel, the pain of it. There's a piece of work I did before, um, a couple of months before Christmas, and I had to pull my car into the side of the road and phone my um, my supervisor straight away because the work was, I'd just come out of a big meeting. It was so painful. It was sitting right in my chest. And so straight away, I spoke it out. And he was brilliant because I was sobbing down the phone. And I said to him, what's wrong with me? I've been doing this for 30 years. Why do I still feel the pain when people murder children? Duh. Mm. Uh, you know, and so it's it's recognizing that pain and then going, the reason you feel that pain, Mary Jo, is because what? Because you believe in. You know, this and this and this and this and this. So then I can move my heart and my spirit my body to the social justice. And that's what I said as that practitioner as well. Yes, we can we can say, Yep, yeah, definitely we're hearing the suffering and that's there. And the fact you're hearing that and feeling that tells me what about you as a person? Mm. And wander into your wonderful ethics and the wonderful stuff that you're putting in the world. What an opportunity to live a life, to do this stuff. It's incredible. It's an incredible privilege, absolute honour to do this. I think for children, young people, and if we again, if we managers can um, be very clear of that kind of culture in our workplace, that this is an honour and a privilege to um lead this meaningful life and do this for children young people, we, we won't be as vulnerable I think to um to this thing that we call you know vicarious trauma and burnout. I seriously I mean being serious I have more vicarious joy and hope from doing this. Yeah, no that's look, my, I why somebody tried to still
0: me. <laughs> To me you are someone who embodies love me and yep. love to me is joyful it is playful it is it, it, it you wake up and you feel that and you never give up on another human being but equally exactly. you give permission for that other p- human being to walk their own life and if that's what they choose then that's what they choose you let them go ahead and do it
1: that's exactly if I was boiled all down that's all I do I get paid for love wow it's not bad, it's not a bad
0: gig it's not a bad gig it's not a bad gig <laughs> <laughs> No, love and trust. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mary Jo.
1: Not at all. I so thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk to you.
0: And can I say I get paid for love? In fact, I don't get paid. I was going to say I get paid for love for coming in here every Sunday morning and talking to you. Woohoo! But actually I don't get paid for it. Just saying. Just this is totally voluntary. So I get to volunteer for love. But... It's true, isn't it? This is a woman who walks, talks, lives, breathes. Um, She has to look after herself because of the privilege of working with these vulnerable communities, giving them an opportunity to live their lives to the fullest. There is no question that we mustn't be very aware of our own self-care and our own nurturing in order to be able to do that work to understand that just because someone has experienced something that's hideously traumatic they they have coping mechanisms that are that are working for them in that moment they've got them to your rooms they've got them to to your company so it's not for you to to take it all away immediately. It's about making sure that they have the support to learn how to cope, to to, to work out where those skills are inside to deal with what has happened and and move forwards. There are. Um, I did that interview with Tanya Curtis. You know, it's the anxiety of not yet knowing that you have the skills inside you to deal with what is in front of you. Those skills are inside. They are yet to be connected to. And Mary Jo really talks about the joy of that comes from letting go, from being able to express, giving each other the opportunity to do that, learning to listen. It's an honor and a privilege and it gives Meaning to life. Now we don't have to be in trauma to give someone that opportunity, and the person we're talking to doesn't have to be in trauma to to experience that connection and love from us equally. So, thank you, Mary Jo McVeigh. I've been talking to the CEO and founder of Cara House. The links to all of those, um, to the link to find Mary Jo and the work that Cara House do, will be on the blog post later today now next week's show is another rotary show i actually can't believe it's been a month since our last rotary show we're talking about aging and we've got some great research illustrating how to live well now to avoid dementia later in life this is a must not miss show feel free to listen in or to the blog uh, when you have a moment sit down reflect and enjoy So to close, what I say each week resonates just as deeply today. Remember that what has or is happening in your life, you are and you always will be you and you are amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body is trying to tell you something is not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health, To build tools to address what you do not yet feel equipped to manage. Look for support in the community. It is there. We just need to learn how to open up to that support and trust again. Don't wait for life to come to you. Take yourself to life and be the change you want to see. The podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website, on SoundClouds and on iTunes podcasts. Wherever you listen, make sure you leave a review. And if you want to get updates, then please like the at Stay In The Loop With Lucy Facebook page. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. You have been listening to Stay In The Loop With Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.